0: Good morning, everyone. Nice, brisk, cold morning. The only thing I think of is three more weeks. And we're in Daylight Savings Time. I hope you all have had a great weekend. And then it continues. Um, today, we're going to continue going over God's continuing. We're going to go over his... His prophecy against Moab and this is through the prophet Isaiah now the thing to, to look at this I don't know if you caught this last week and then as if you read ahead already this week um, we are reading and listening to this with our Western minds and please understand the Hebrew form of this or, or writing these passage is very different from how we hear and perceive them. Um, a lot of this is written as poetry, and like I said before, a large part of it is saying. And and why? Well, this way it was easier to be memorized and then recited in this form. And and with a natural cadence like this, it's easier to memorize. And then also Especially, it got me thinking this, reading 15 and then reading 16, it's like, this doesn't make much sense. Of course, in our minds, we're used to step logic. We want everything in order, begin, take me through the steps. Um, The Hebrew method is something that's called a block logic. So what that means is they group like items together when they share. So you can see the difference when you look back and read 15, everything it's talking about versus everything 16 is talking about. And it can blow your mind if you're like, no, but I want this in order. It can drive you crazy. It's like when you're talking to someone and, and you just know there's a juicy part in there and you want them to go to that. But they're going, no, there's a prequel. I want to make sure you fully understand first. And then I want to walk you through everything that happened. You're like, oh, just tell me. <laughs> the best part about this is I, uh, my customer, the Air Force, has an acronym they use in emails. It's called BLUFF. So when you get this large email that goes out to a huge audience, the first line is BLUFF. It means bottom line up front. And so that means you can sit there and decide Boiled down what this is who the audience is intended for and just generally what needs to be done so if it doesn't meet your requirements you have nothing to do with it you get to go delete and move on to the next one it's the best so I'm going to give you a version of bluff right up front today and you do not get the option to delete this or to move on the next week. So, what we're looking at is we're going to look at verses 1 through 4a. 4a, and I'll describe what 4a is to you in a moment. And this is Moab's request for refuge. 4b through 5 is Judah's response to that. Six through eight is Moab's rejection of this free gift of refuge. And then nine through 12, the Lord speaks concerning Moab. And then 13 and 14 is Moab's imminent peril. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we just want to thank you so much for this time that we get to come before you and go through your word that talks all about you and even in this old testament book written hundreds of years before your first advent we see you clearly in the mention of you on your throne we are so thankful for that just guard our hearts and minds as as we come now before you quiet us holy spirit just come fill this room help us to just focus on your word let everything involved with the world go away right now and let's just come together and and worship you Jesus amen so Isaiah 16 send the land to the ruler of the land from Selah by the way of the desert to the mount of the daughter Zion Like fleeing birds, like a scattered nest, so are the daughters of Moab at the fords of the Arnon. Give counsel. Grant justice. Make your shade like night at the height of the moon. Shelter the outcasts. Do not reveal the fugitive. Let the outcasts of Moab sojourn among you and be sheltered to them from the destroyer. When the oppressor is no more and the destruction has ceased, and he who tramples underfoot has vanished from the land. Then a throne will be established in steadfast love, and on it will sit in faithfulness in the tent of David, one who judges and seeks justice and is swift to do righteousness. We have heard of the pride of Moab, how proud he is, of his arrogance, his pride, and his insolence, and his idle boasting, he is not right therefore let moab wail for Moab. let everyone wail mourn, utterly stricken for the raisin cakes of the raisin cakes of Kir for the fields of heshbon language and the vine of shidma the lord of the nations have struck down its branches which reached to jazir and strayed to the desert its shoots spread abroad they passed over the sea Therefore, I weep with the weeping of Jezir, for the vine of Shibmah. I drench you with my tears, O Heshbon and Eleah. For over your summer fruit and your harvest, the shout has ceased, and the joy and gladness are taken away from the fruitful field. And in the vineyards, no songs are sung, no cheers are raised, no treader treads out the wines in the presses I have put an end to the shouting therefore my inner parts moan like the lyre for Moab and my inmost self for cure has and when Moab presents himself when he wearies himself on that high place when he comes to his sanctuary to pray he will not prevail this is the word that the Lord spoke concerning Moab in the past But now the Lord has spoken, saying, In three years, like the years of a hired worker, the glory of Moab will be brought into contempt in spite of all of his great multitude, and those who remain will be few and feeble. In chapter 15, we saw the country of Moab in destruction and fleeing for their lives. They have prayed to their gods, their homemade gods, with no relief. So now they have sent their people and goods right now to other villages seeking preservation. preservation. They are in mourning, and we see that in their dress and their action. Isaiah shows us a picture of the center of this vile place where they worship. There's false gods. In 15.9 we see The waters of this place, Daban are full of blood, and God is promising more. So, verses 1 through 4a, Moab's request for refuge. Um, The beauty of chapter 16 is hearing Isaiah sing this out loud, or being able to read and get the cadence in Hebrew. I I did no justice to that whatsoever. So and what this shows you in 1 through 4a is just how desperate these people are. Um, Picture this. So what we're getting through 1 through 4a is the leaders of Moab have fled. They fled first, They're, they're safe. But they know the people back there are near Syria and they're struggling. So the leaders are in a southern city called Selah, and they're all talking to each other and over each other about what their next actions are. And they're saying this, and you would hear it from Isaiah and read it in Hebrew and understand this is a breathy, desperate um, verse these things are given out. It says, send the lamb to the ruler of the land from Selah by the way of the desert." To the mountain, to the daughter of Zion, like fleeing birds, like a scattered nest, so are the daughters of Moab at the fords of the Arnon. Give counsel, grant justice, make your shade like night at the height of noon, shelter the outcasts, do not reveal the fugitive, let the outcasts of Moab sojourn among you, be a shelter to them from the destroyer. So we see a familiar thing that Moab has done. If you look at 2 Kings 3:4 later, you can see that this is something that Moab did. They would send tribute to to um, Jerusalem. Um, they would send a tribute of labs. So this was an act of submission back then. And the one time you'll see that they that they didn't send it war broke out so here we see in this case they're requesting asylum they're sending this out this is a common thing that was done if you think about it reading about jacob coming back into his homeland what did he do he knew that he had an angry brother when he left esau was very angry so what did he do he put out rows and rows of gifts to him you know well in front with the servants knowing their life could end when Esau came, saying, this is tribute for us. This is tribute for you, Esau. This is a gift from your brother. So that was a common practice. The ruler of the land, um, the thing is, they knew, the Moabites knew who the ruler of King Judah was, but they simply were not ready at this point to to bow down and recognize Judah as their overlord. They weren't ready. So we see in verse 2 why the Moabites leaders need protection and a safe place to hide. With the invading armies coming down from the north, the leaders are gone in a safe place. But we're seeing that the daughters of Moab are desperate to cross this river. They are not so far away from the invading armies, and everyone knows what their fate will be if they get caught. In verse 3, it says, Give counsel, grant justice. Moab is using that word, counsel, to Judah to say, Hey, give us advice. But they're saying, then grant justice is saying, Hey, make a governmental decision quickly to save us. And then make your shade like night the Sun is not bearing down on them what they want is their people to be hidden as if they're in the shade and they do not want Judah to send anyone back despite maybe the Assyrians calls for their extradition back to their land now verse 4 we see the second request for protection for these resident aliens the first one we saw was a couple chapters back in 14 1 through 2 and then here in verse 4a the tone in Hebrew actually moves from panting pleas, as if someone had hurried and travel driving the sheep all the way over there to ask for refuge to now being very desperate and hoping that Judah would accept their payment to allow these refugees from Moab to stay with them and be sheltered okay now we're gonna get to 4b through 5 and this is Judah's response Judah's response to him and the tone goes into a much calmer response it says when the oppressor is no more and the destruction has ceased and he who tramples underfoot has vanished from the land, then a throne will be established in steadfast love, and on it will sit in faithfulness in the tent of David, one who judges and seeks justice and is swift to do righteousness. So like I said, 4B and 5 constitute a reply to Moab, and who is making this reply? On behalf of his people well it's God speaking through Isaiah and we're going to see this again God is going to speak through Isaiah clearly starting in verse 9 and his message to the Moabites here he he's giving them one of assurance we know that these promises will will happen they just do not know when and he promises and the promises of God though to the Moabites, does not, does not offer immunity from earth's trials. We know that it's the way of faith in God to accept life how it comes, and to see and to know that the trials and the tribulations that we go through, we know that God is fully in control and a better life awaits And these promises of a fulfillment of a better life that he gave them, um, he is telling them that with certainty. There'll be a glorious end, and it will be full of righteousness. 4B, it says the word oppressor. That's one who limits freedom and locks down normal lifestyles. Trampling down refers to the brutality done to people okay so in verse five now the excited speech from the envoy is no more and like i said isaiah is writing down this beautiful rhythmic passage on the davidic king that is to come isaiah is being used to tell them since the present is ordained by god that they need to see the future is also secured in his sovereign promise then the word steadfast love here and look at what god is offering he is offering his covenant love for all his people which he gives freely and he promises to never let go and so you think about this moab what would they currently experience they were currently experiencing a kingdom that was being torn down and here god is saying to them come with us come with us a throne is going to be established a throne that will never ever change hands imagine for these people no more flight no more fight and a ruler on the throne that is faithful and a king on this throne that is not there because of a recent coup but he's there because of his lineage his lineage that no one can dispute. And we see the same thing stated in Amos 9, 11, and 12. Amos 9, 11, and 12. It's a promise, this promise to all the nations that we will be there. So when the Moabs come, when they came, out of breath and desperate, what was held out to them was the best that this messianic, vision could offer him, it was the best. And then, what would be their response to this? Let's look at verses 6 through 8, and it's Moab's rejection of this free gift of refuge. We have heard of the pride of Moab, how proud he is, of his arrogance, his pride, and his insolence. In his idle boasting, he is not right. Therefore let Moab wail for Moab, let everyone wail, mourn utterly stricken for the raisin cakes of Kir Heseth. For the fields of Heshbon languish, and the vine of Sidma, and the lords of the nations have struck down its branches, which reached to Drazir, and strayed to the desert its shoot spread abroad and passed over the sea so I gave you the response I didn't even get to go into this you by the title you got the response and we see Moab has returned to its wailing Judah did not send them away so we can only gather from that that Moab refused their offer and, and what it seems like by going through this it looks like they wanted their pay their way in they wanted to get a hook into the king of of jerusalem and you got to wonder okay so if judah would have said these lambs are nice but we also want this we want this we don't want raisin cakes we want this we want this we want this we got to wonder if they would have said okay great because that would have been like them buying their way into this so it's a picture of buying your way into grace they were offered this and they said, no, we don't want it for free. And you got to wonder, why do, they, why do they not want it? you got to assume that maybe out of their pride is why they didn't want this free gift. They were only asked to submit to God and enjoy His presence and the major rewards that one day, one day would follow. So, in verse 5, when we went through, four words described what Moab was offered. Four words described what Moab was offered. It was love, faithfulness, justice, and righteousness. Now, in verse 6, we see four words that they chose. Four words that they chose. And those were pride, conceit, pride, and insolence. So you gotta think, so here they are, they're fearing for their life, they're fearing for their life, they're offered a place to stay, and, and it didn't satisfy their haughtiness. It didn't. Isaiah says, Moab's idle boasting is not right. He means their boasts are just pure fabrication. And the word that Isaiah is using here for boast means to invent or devise. So the Moabites, when the real world is crashing down on them, can't escape this make-believe world they're living in. They can't. They invented it. It's, it's coming down. It's getting real. It's going to get real real. We see this by the probably tens of thousands of people that are refugees that are hitting and If you've seen the pictures of this in other countries, the refugees, it's intense, and, and they can't get over their own pride. So they have re- basically rejected God for the dream world that they're living in, except we know the consequences from this, right? And and it's far from a dream world, both now and in the day of the Lord. And we're gonna see that because we're gonna to come to three therefore sections. Like I was telling you, when God repeats something, it's good to pay attention. So we're gonna to come to three therefore sections in seven and eight, nine and ten, and eleven and twelve, and the second two are actually God speaking to us seven and eight the first one records the consequences of refusing security in Judah and seven starts off with therefore let Moab wail for Moab and you know I, I, I can't blame it because if I was forced to eat a raisin cake I'd be right there I would I would be wailing I couldn't even imagine. But this, the real picture though, is a picture showing a people knowing that nothing in their life will ever be the same once the Assyrians fully arrive. The things they took for granted, like being in their homes, surrounded by their loved ones, and yes, in this time, eating a raisin cake all that is gone forever it's gone forever it's nothing's going to be the same moab was proud of of the of the bounty would grow so you have grapes and vines extended all throughout the country so you get grapes wines and you would obviously have so much produce that you could make something like a raisin cake that would keep much like a fruit log probably in our time and all that they understand will be gone. Now, here we go 9 through 12, verses 9 through 12. The Lord speaks concerning Moab. Therefore, I weep with the weeping of Jazer, for the vine of Shibmah, I drench you with my tears, O Heshbon and Eliak. For over your summer fruit and your harvest, the shout has ceased, and joy and gladness are taken away from the fruitful field. And in the vine- vineyards, no songs are sung, no cheers are raised, no treader treads out the wine in the presses, and I have put an end to the shouting. Therefore, my inner parts moan like a leer for Moab and my innermost self for Kir Hesheth. And when Moab presents himself, when he wearies himself on the high place, when he comes to a sanctuary to pray, he will not prevail. The Lord says these verses concerning Moab and we see in verse 9 we see him say I weep. And in verse 10, he says, I have put an end to their shouting. So in verse 9, the therefore means that besides the Moabs, besides them in their pity, God is grieving over their pride. In 15.5, he wept for them, and now he's weeping with them. This is a great... Great point to catch here that God is no mere onlooker to the world's sorrows, but he identifies with the mourners even when they've gone against his law and they're going to get their just punishment. He still weeps for them and with them. And in verse 9, takes the three names that we read in verse 8, Heshbon, Sibma, and Jazir, and puts them in reverse order. That's probably again, that, that Hebrew poetry that give them a cadence to help them in their memorization. And the shouts of joy, a traditional cheer when they had a great harvest and everything was great. Also a tradition when you're a victor in a major war, you have these huge cries um, and it's all going away. The interesting thing is we see later the prophet that follows Isaiah. We see in Jeremiah 25, 30. Pretty much how the same passage talking about pride will be used against Judah here. We see that Judah is telling, Jeremiah is telling Judah um, that you have become prideful. Almost like Moab. So, now we see that the shout that Moab had that once signaled prosperity and success is now the sound of its ruin. In verse 10, in 59, it told the Moabites that God would bring more upon them. And then here it is, God has put an end to the shouting, no more celebrations. No more fruitful fields to be proud of, which was the main thing they were proud of, and all is gone. Verse 11 is a continuation of 9, but it shows God is in deep agony, and it tells us by the picture of the lyre playing that it, He is audibly, audibly moved in this agony. verse 12 here bookends 15 1 and 2 it actually bookends it Moab is laid to waste Moab went to its form of worship to pray to their gods for relief and God says you know what you can go up there all you want you can stay up there so it's a picture if you think back to the prophets of Baal and how they spent almost a whole day cutting themselves, yelling, praying, only to be wiped out. God's telling the Moabites, go do the same thing. Go do it. Um, you're only going to weary yourselves. Um, you can, you're only going to worry yourself. There's no alternative God to pray to. There's none. Once you reject Him, and, and are rejected by Him, you have nothing more to turn to. Nothing to gain. And no matter how hard you practice, no matter what you say or do, nothing. So verses 13 and 14. Moab's imminent peril. Moab's imminent peril. And we see this is the word that the Lord spoke concerning Moab. In the past, but now the Lord has spoken, saying, In three years... Like the years of a hired worker, the glory of Moab will be brought into contempt in spite of all of his great multitude, and those who remain will be very feeble and few. Isaiah gives Moab a hard date, much like God has given Isaiah to share with the other nations we've already gone through. And you have to wonder if this was done because while they were in Jerusalem, you gotta wonder, because this is not uncharacteristic of what could happen. You would have some of the envoy reach out to say, hey, who's your prophet? Or we know Isaiah's your prophet. We want a word from him. And we see that in other parts of the Bible, right? And you'll see it um, concerning Jeremiah later these kings would want to hear from the prophets. And they probably knew which ones were just giving him lip service. And then he'd keep asking. One of the great stories is when all these prophets were telling the two kings, go out, you got the victory. And the one king says, is there another prophet? And the other king says, no, don't worry about him. Anything he says, I don't usually like it. And that prophet, came out and said, go out, you'll get victory. He said, I told you, don't lie to me. Tell me the truth. He says, okay, you will not have victory. In fact, you king will die during the battle. So it's probably what happened here. Some of the envoy wanted to hear from Isaiah about what was going to happen to them. And this word would not be one that was desired. So we learn there is no benefit to having pride, the Lord has spoken, and this is a very somber and powerful moment. So God told him through Isaiah, you have a three-year window, a three-year window. And I like this phrase, because to me in our day it means like you have an hourly employee and he's waiting for that clock to hit the end mark, whether that's four, 4.30 or five, as soon as he hits it he's gone in fact he's 15 minutes prior he's probably packed up with the car keys in his hand he's ready to go and so the same would have been with a hired hand being hired out for three years to pay a debt or whatever he's doing he would have known exactly when that three years was up collected what he could collect and departed And the glory of Moab is used to describe all that Moab glories in. And that would be brought into contempt and this people would almost be completely wiped out. You've got to figure these people, whose uncle was Abraham, had completely gone off the deep end. But they wouldn't be completely wiped out. So as we continue to look at the nations that surround judah and reading what god has planned for their judgment we notice we should see and we should notice that um, man's sin has not really deviated too much from from the beginning i mean all along even though we would not take pride in the things they take pride in now we would tell them we have a better ways we have Amazon we have we have other sources Um, still the same thing is there they have pride lust the love of pleasure all this has lasted through time and just taken on different forms the best remark i've ever heard on pride was from a pastor that that uh you know colleen and i sat under when we were first married and he says, you know, you see pride, but you got to imagine what God sees. And this was not literal. It's just to use as an example. He said, you know, he looks down on his created, and you got to imagine, we're no better to him than like earthworms. And you see the majesty and the glory of heaven. And so imagine you're looking down at a pile of earthworms, and one pops his head up and says, I'm the most beautiful earthworm Or person in the world and starts bragging about himself it's like no you're just an earthworm so it just shows how how it all is it's all vanity and it's all fleeting so as we look at these remaining chapters in this section of the triumph of of Jerusalem um, here's the bluff again God loves us and is going to spend time with us forever and much like moab was offered but not taken that gift is free and our job is to get this message out to others about this free gift let's pray dear jesus we just want to thank you that we can come and see your work in a period that is long before us in this time. We can't help but to see our, our past and, and people we're praying for in the Moabites. Help us just to, to really dwell on it that much longer. Our prayers for them. For it's no mistake that, we, that God shows us that our pride and, our, and the things we build up are just really make-believe. It is like making a sandcastle or a house of cards. It will come down. Help us to be in your word. Help us to be in your prayer. And help us to be that example. We love you so much. Amen.